When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome into what should be a very, very spirited edition of Purple Daily, the podcast version post-game. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs beat the Minnesota Vikings 26-23 today. Zolgad in studio here at uh, Score North. And in Kansas City, I'm sure I'm talking to him from the press box at Arrowhead Stadium, Matthew Collar, who watched uh, today's game in person. Matthew it's your show. Where would you like to start? In in I and I just got done uh, doing a show in which uh, Ventline, in which we went an hour plus, and people were all over the map and blaming cousins and not blaming cousins and blaming Trey Wayne's. Where's the proper place to start here? Well, for me, it was about the defense, and that's not to say that it wasn't cousins' fault, and we will certainly get there. But I want to start by just talking about what we saw from the Minnesota Vikings today, and I'm ready to make a statement. And that statement is, this is not your 2017 Minnesota Vikings defense. This is your average, decent, maybe a little above average, but cannot be relied upon to shut everyone down defense. This is your can move the ball against us when you need to, can create big plays throughout uh, pretty much each game that we've seen, aside from maybe a team like you know, Washington, we usually see at least one or two big plays against. This is not a defense that is going to completely own games and win against backup quarterbacks whenever called upon. Uh, that's two quarterback backup quarterbacks now that have beat the Minnesota Vikings um, on the road, and they have not had great defensive performances in either of those games. Chase Daniel was able to move the ball. Matthew Stafford was able to move the ball. We even saw it in the first half. Uh, last Thursday night that Case Keenum was able to move the ball, and here you go, Matt Moore moving the ball against the Vikings defense, and they create big plays, a 91-yard touchdown run from Damian Williams. We would not have seen that a couple of years ago. I mean, we have talked about it. We sort of waited for it to come when you bring back the same players over and over and over again. Eventually, there will be more weaknesses. That's how defenses work, unlike offenses that if you have a great quarterback, it's usually pretty consistent, right? Or if you have Andy Reid calling the plays, as we saw today, it's usually pretty consistent. So when you have uh, players who are a little older and you need Xavier Rhodes to make a play on a big, I think it was second and long or third and long, where Tyreek Hill just finds a way to get open and Matt Moore gets him for a first down, or when you need Trey Waynes to break up a pass and he's unable to do it, or you need somebody to make a big tackle, well, this is not your defense that's going to do that all the time. Uh, I, I made the point that coming into this game, they were 18th in quarterback rating against, which is one of the worst of Zimmer's uh, career as a Minnesota Vikings coach. I think the worst since 2014. And that continues today with another quarterback having a pretty good day against them. So as they go down the stretch and they're going to play Russell Wilson and they're going to play Aaron Rodgers, they're going to play Stafford again. 
their offense will have to show up in those games or they will lose. And this is not to say that the defense is garbage or anything else like that or that it's completely lost the fastball. It's just not the same as it once was, and that's kind of what happens in the NFL. So you had an offensive performance that was mediocre today and didn't come through at a lot of big times, but in the past, that would have been enough to win this game. In 2017, and I might even say last year, that would have been enough to win this game. It is not anymore. What in your mind, and this is probably sample size-wise especially been wrong within, I don't know, the past month or so, but what in your mind is going on with a past defense where a week ago we spent the entire time in the lead-up to the Chiefs game talking about Xavier Rhodes and can they play him as much and he's not playing well, and I think all those statements were very true. But so today it was almost as if Andy Reid and Matt Moore were like, 29's not playing well, how about 26? So this seems to me to be a, a concerning if not breakdown, systematic problem here where there are a lot of different portions of this past defense and especially the uh, cornerbacks, the outside corners being picked on and really struggling. And I can't recall the last time with a Mike defense uh, from Zim's angle that we have seen his cornerbacks look this helpless at times. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have our friend Sage Rosenfeld sitting next to me in the press box here in Arrowhead which is always a great experience because he knows every play that's coming, just like Tony Romo. And at one point when Kirk Cousins slid short, Sage actually took off his hat and hit me with it, which I think breaks probably several press box rules, but he uh, was not thrown out or anything. So, But one thing he pointed out that was just great, and I didn't realize myself, is just how often we see now a safety over Xavier Rhodes, giving some help over there, and how often we see the Vikings defense playing cover four as opposed to cover three and, and locking down in man. They don't do that as much anymore because they can't. Mike Zimmer may talk like he doesn't realize that Xavier Rhodes doesn't have it anymore, mm-hmm. but he certainly is not designing his defense that way. So that's why a lot of times you might see a third and six and they throw an eight-yard pass or something and they have a long drive. We've seen that. Chase Daniels did it. And uh, Matt Stafford was able to do it. Case Keenum was able to do it. These long extended drives where you feel like the offense hasn't touched the ball in forever. Well, a lot of that is because they're playing don't get behind me and burn me for a big play type of defense, which they have to now. And part of that is when you can island a corner, then you can cover up for the other corner. You can always have that one safety over the other corner because you know Xavier Rhodes has got his man locked down or Darrell Revis being the most famous guy to do that. And when you don't have that, now your corner your, your corner can only get a little help from, from one side. You can only help one corner. So if you're trying to help uh, Xavier Rhodes, then that leaves Trey Waynes to be exposed. And I think that that's what's happened here is, you know, they've tried to cover it up uh, and, and paint over it with some schemes, which you would expect Mike Zimmer to do and to adapt, but you can't cover up for everybody. Trey Waynes has been an average corner in the league for the past few years, but a lot of his being average is probably getting some help on that side, knowing that Xavier Rhodes was fine on his own. Now that you can't help him all the time, it's starting to expose Trey Wayne. I also think, too, the longer somebody plays, the more everybody figures out their weaknesses. And it's always been a weakness of Trey Wayne's that you could throw the ball up in his direction, and he's just not great at playing the ball. And so we've seen teams, you know, we saw the Detroit Lions do this. We saw that today with Tyreek Hill with the 41-yard pass, where they just said, you know what, Trey Wayne's is running right with our guy, but I bet our receiver comes down with it and not him. And that was a tremendous catch, but it's also one we've seen against Trey Wayne's a number of times. So I think it's kind of a domino effect. And here's my other diagnosis, too. When you have no cap space, 
it hurts you eventually. And I'll tell you where it hurts you. There's this guy named Sheldon Richardson who was pretty damn good last year mm-hmm. at getting after the passer on third down. How about Tom Johnson, my old buddy that you talk about all the time, how much I like Tom Johnson. Well, here's why. Because you could bring Tom Johnson in on third down, and he would create a pressure up the middle. I'd love for you to tell me how many pressures that came up the middle on third down. <laughs> they need entirely their defensive ends to get to the, the quarterback in order to create any sort of pressure because up the middle today – Mike decided to sit down Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes and play uh, Fadi Adenabo and Stephen Weatherly on those third downs over the guards, and they got no pressure whatsoever against an offensive line that has not been very good at the guard position over the last few years. And, and that right there leaves a place to step up for quarterbacks. I mean, it's, it's very small things, but it just shows you how delicate it can be to have an elite defense and the reasons why they start to crumble apart. I'm not looking at this defense as if, they're going to sink to the bottom of the league as they play some tougher teams going forward. They're going to have games at U.S. Bank Stadium. There's someone named Brandon Allen who's going to start for Denver. So plenty of chances to be ranked at the end of the year as a top 10 defense. But top 10 is not the same as number one. Number one is you're bringing your team to the NFC Championship if right. you have any offense. 10 is you better have a damn good offense if you're going to go anywhere. Okay, help help me out here uh, to switch to the offensive side of the ball and the decision-making that went into today's loss in Kansas City. Uh, watching the game in person, tell me your observations about uh, one Stefan Diggs, especially with the Thielen going out early in the game after he tweaked the hamstring again. Stefan Diggs being targeted four times, and I believe it was one reception for four yards in the entire game. Well, if you're going to use Stephon Diggs like he's Julio Jones and have him run deep route after deep route after deep route, which I wrote about it, it's cornorth.com, and anyone can go see it. Um, but if that's how and the you're app too, them, it is yeah, free app. Free uh, app. Thank you, Robbie. Way that you are, if that's the way that you're going to use Stephon Diggs, then you have to be able to be in position to run play actions. And they weren't in that position today. They had 15 third downs, and eight of them were six or more. And that is not Kirk Cousins' strength. I mean, that might be an Aaron Rodgers' strength or a Russell Wilson's strength or a Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, but that is not a Kirk Cousins' strength to have third down and nine, third down and eight, third down and 13. He doesn't often convert those. In fact, he's in the, in the bottom third of starting quarterbacks over the last few years in third and long. And this year, when they've been great, they have not had many. It's been Delvin Cook for seven yards, second and three. Now you can take your shots down the field to Stephon Diggs. But those were taken away largely by the fact that the Chiefs were able to slow down Delvin Cook. And I wish I had a great answer for you about why they were able to do such a great job. I don't, other than the fact that this offensive line got dominated mostly today. And it's been pretty consistent theme. I mean, I feel like these are the things that we always talk about. It's if the offensive line doesn't play super well and they don't have those play-action opportunities, then Kirk Cousins ends up playing very wobbly type of football where he's going to make some plays because he's still very talented, but there are also going to be times where you just go, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? Oh, because you're not in a position to do the same things that you've been doing. And I will go back and look at some point about how many play actions they had, but it was not the same number as usual. And then when Kirk is off his game, uh, you know, of course, then he throws the ball short to Adam Thielen right off the, the beginning. And I think probably you, me, and a bunch of other Minnesotans and all the Minnesotans who came down here, which was many, by the way, um, we probably all went, oh, no, is that what's going to happen today? Mm-hmm. And he, you know, give him credit. He scores a touchdown to take the lead late in the fourth quarter and did his job from that perspective. 
to get them ahead. But then, you know, when they needed him at the end of the game, two drives, he had to do it and couldn't get it done in either one of them. So I, I, I think that all sort of starts with Kansas City's defensive line dominating the Vikings' offensive line. That's where the penalties came from. In, in some instances, holdings and things like that, that cost them key drives. That's where you had interior pressure on Kirk Cousins, which we know always messes with his head when he's on the road and getting uh, that pressure up the middle. And then just the situations that sort of play off of not being able to run the ball and not being able to find digs deep. Now, I mean, if it's me, I'm saying, all right, well, that's not going to be there today. Let's flip to the Filippo offense and start throwing him to short to make sure Stephon Diggs gets the ball. That is not how they approach it today. I think that was probably a mistake. And they'll look back at that and say, you know what? We should have found other ways. They ran a reverse to Stephon Diggs, got 12 yards. Yep. Never went back to it. It's like, well, you know, you got to find ways to get the ball in his hands one way or the other. He can do absolutely anything. If he ends up with one catch for four yards, that is on the quarterback and that is on the offensive coordinator because you know he's going to make plays if you give him an opportunity. And speaking of that, too, where did the inclusion of one Laquan Treadwell come from? Because if you had asked me on Friday, hey, give me a surprise player for Sunday's game, I would never have said, you know who's going to have an impact today and actually or in that game? It's going to be number 11. Well, here's my guess, is that the, um, they came out with a game plan to sort of go against some of the things that they've done recently, which not always my favorite thing. You know that, Judd, when something's working and offensive coordinators and offensive minds say, you know what we should really do, though? We should really get Amir Abdullah in the game and right. hand it off to him on third down. I mean, that what the hell are you doing? Like, right off the bat, it was a little bit like, oh, no, it's one of those. It's one of those overthinking uh, you know, I, I guess we could call it the Filippo because Filippo would have a great week running play actions and swing passes and things like that, and then the next week he wouldn't do it at all. And I think this week they knew that the Chiefs knew that they were using a lot of two tight end stuff. So they decided, you know what, we're going to come out, we're going to use some three wide receiver because B.C. Johnson is good at football. The problem with that is once Thielen went down, it was like, well, they're still going to run their scripted plays. And, uh, you know, because they've been working on him all week, so somebody's got to do it. And I will give Laquan Treadwell a ton of credit. He was in the right places at the right times. He explained uh, the one big game that he got that was actually, uh, I mean, thank goodness, overturned pass interference, which I was completely stunned. Only because it uh, came from, it, oh, because the challenge came from the yeah, booth from and not York, a flag. Yeah. If that had been a challenge flag, yeah. they don't overturn it. I guarantee you that. Yeah, no, no, I, I 100% agree because the other one was just as obvious or even more obvious that it should have been offensive pass interference, right. but they didn't overturn that, and that is the league we live in now. But I, I will give uh, Treadwell credit for being able to step up and, and make plays, and he was targeted, what, five times in the game? He had a couple of catches. Two of them were on third down and long. They were a couple that the Vikings were actually able to convert. And after that drive, when he made those plays, I thought maybe this is going to be the game where we talk about forever Laquan Treadwell breaking out. And I, I think there, I think there is some improvement in his game from just like understanding what the role is. Like it's not a, you're going to play all the time type of role. It's you're going to come in every once in a while and just do what you're asked to do so they can limit that. But once Thielen went down, there was a little bit of a domino effect in that too of, well, now you've got to have Laquan in the game, and that's just a way different story from having Adam Thielen. Um, but, you know, it's, it's weird because it's going to go down in the box score like Stephon Diggs was completely shut down, but there was one play where I don't know if I've ever seen him as wide open. I saw your tweet. And I, I mean, this was one where yep. on the coach's tape, 
the people who subscribe to the All-22 are going to go back and just rip their hair out because uh, I think three of us on press row went, oh, my gosh, like thinking, here it comes, here comes the big play, and then the throw goes to a check down. And, and that's where we can go next, if you like, which is bad Kirk. So did Kirk, Kirk so, showed up. But just to be clear now, tell me this. Did Kirk play a bad game? Did Kirk just regress a bit here? Did, did the O-line uh, play such a poor game? I, I'm trying to get my head around how we should um, talk about and and decide that after an incredible month of football, how do we put into perspective what Kirk Cousins did today? Well, I'm going to go with yes, yes, and yes. I mean, this was not entirely on Kirk Cousins, and anybody who tries to say that it was is fooling themselves. I mean, this was on feeling getting injured this was on offensive penalties where if maybe Garrett Bradbury doesn't just get out there like we I could just run down the field now and is like a little more patient um (laughs) then you know maybe they get a first down on that that screen pass and they go and score and the game is over I mean that's football for you right like one play or two plays here there can I mean there was a what illegal hands to the face or whatever it was on Josh Klein that was a big penalty I took a couple big penalties there, there were there were times, at least two or three different times, where this game is the Vikings win if they just don't get called for a penalty. But, you know, that's how football works. That goes for almost anything. Uh, so, you know, if you start with the Chiefs did a good job, and that can't be overlooked. Like, they did a tremendous job of if you're going to slow down the Vikings offense, this is how you do it. You start with the run game, you slow that down, you get them in third and long. You take away play actions. You take away deep shots. I mean, Kansas City's defense did an extremely, extremely good job. Now, that being said, there were also plays, and I think there were many that were left out there from Kirk Cousins. That, you know, he had that look in his eye early in the game where it was a little bit panicky, a little bit rushed through some of his progressions. And that's the play when we're talking about with Diggs where he's wide open. I think that if that's at U.S. Bank Stadium, he's cool and calm and he makes that throw and they get. 60 yards or something. I mean, it's just a, a, a totally different feel to him. And, and this is maybe the um, the value of driving to Kansas City outside of stuffing my face with barbecue for a couple days here is the fact that you can really see it. Like, you can really get that sense and that feel for what's going on down there. And, uh, again, give him credit for leading a late drive that put him ahead in the game. But there were also too many times where it felt shaky, it felt panicked, it felt rushed. And at the end of the game, you have a guy with the ball in his hands, and this is the situation we talk about all the time. I mean, you couldn't have written it any better from the way that we built up this game. with like on the road, Arrowhead Stadium, their, their pass rush is doing a pretty good job on this day, and here's Kirk with the ball in his hands, a chance to go win the game. All he has to do is get to the other 35-yard line, and this game belongs to the Minnesota Vikings. And what do we get? We get minus seven yards passing on that drive, a three and out, and it's a quick pass to Irv Smith that goes backwards seven yards. Matthew, that drive was inexplicable, too. That drive, from, from the time that the Vikings got the ball to the time that Colquitt's foot hit the ball to punt, I charted it, 107, 107, and explain this. Why on first down, if you are Stefanski and Kubiak, why are you calling a pass play to a guy who you know on the road struggles in that exact environment and situation? That, to me, the first down call, I did not get. 
I also don't understand why you don't go back to, you know, screen to Delvin Cook. I mean, the biggest plays in this game for the Vikings were a screen to C.J. Ham and a screen to Delvin Cook yep. uh, through the air. So, I mean, it seemed like that was Stefanski's answer to Shaky Kirk, by the way, was, okay, this is not going super well, so let's get him throwing some screen passes so he doesn't throw that Kirk interception and have it cost us. And I thought that that was smart from Stefanski's standpoint. But, you know, in that situation, if you're Kevin Stefanski, I would do this too. I mean, I'm saying let's go win the game. Kirk, go win the game. Put it on, put it on your shoulders, make some throws, make some plays, and let's win. And that's what you pay for as a $28 million quarterback. That's what you look for in a guy who once almost threw for 5,000 yards who this year has been dubbed as an MVP candidate going into this game. I mean, this is if you can't call pass plays in that situation to go and try to win it, then what are we doing here with this quarterback, right? I mean, this is the big problem we sort of get to every time this happens yes. is always, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't have done this. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. But shouldn't he be able to make a play? He had two drives to do it, not one. And I think that might be, you know, the frustration too. But you need, but you, but in in that on first down, right there. If I'm a play caller, the first thing I'm thinking of as that drive uh, gets set to begin, Matthew, is this: How do I eat as much clock as possible? And a short pass hmm. to what? C.J. Ham? A short pass to C.J. Ham is not the answer. So, so my problem is because that that's a winnable game right there. And you know what? It might not be pretty, and you might make a ton of mistakes. But I was saying to myself, how can you not eat as much time as possible? And that play on first down doesn't go there to me. It doesn't get, get you there. I, well, first of all, there's no play in the playbook that's designed to go C.J. Ham outside of the screen that he caught today, I don't think. So sure. it's not supposed to go there, and that's on Kirk. Uh, but, I, you know, I look at it. And, and also, on that same play, Irv Smith is running. It's a, you know, one of those plays where they flood one side of the field. Irv Smith is running wide open right behind C.J. Ham on that play. That's where it's on Kirk. I, I don't agree. I look at it as you've got a position to win the game as long as you can move it down the field to the other 30. So I am calling pass plays. I know that I'm sure that that play was not designed to go to Ham. It seems like every time Kirk panics, we talk about C.J. Ham getting five or six targets, right? I, I mean, because that's always like your last line of defense sure. when you rush through your progressions, which Kirk, again, for the second time we've heard that this year, he sort of rushed through a progression and missed some guys down the field. And that seems to be his M.O. when he's on the road in these tough environments. And, you know, it, I guess I, I'm just saying that if I'm Stefanski, like you and I, Judd, you and I can sit here and say, oh, man, that's where, this is where Kirk always comes apart. But if you're Kevin Stefanski, you got to attack that situation as if you're going to go win the game and your very expensive quarterback is going to make the throws that he's made all year. I mean, if you can't call those plays with a guy who's ranking in the top five in almost every offensive category for quarterbacks this year, then, you know, I, I, I don't know when you can. So I, I was not against the way they went about that. It was the execution that was just pathetic. And then Britton Colquitt, who I was thinking halfway through the game was the MVP because he had punted so well. He was great Shanks till then. Went off the, yeah, Shanks went off the side of his foot, and then that's the ball game. But, you know, that, that drive right there encapsulates the Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota. He's got great stats. Yep. He's beaten all the teams he's supposed to beat. Yep. And then when given opportunities, he's not out of this game. I mean, that, that was the thing right there. And, I, I, you know, a lot of people will make everything about these Teddy Bridgewater comparisons to Cousins, and it's natural, and it's going to happen because 
You're talking about a guy who was a fan favorite versus the guy who hasn't gotten his team to the playoffs. So I get that. I don't think it's completely fair. But in these situations, that's why people fell in love with Teddy Bridgewater. That's why the Saints have fallen in love with Teddy Bridgewater. He went 5-0 and because he did just enough to get them in positions to win games. And sometimes they were tough, and sometimes they were on the road, and sometimes they required a big drive and a big spot. And you seem to always get it with some quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson is one of them. The guy who plays here is certainly one of them. Yep. You know, the best quarterbacks in the league. And so if your expectation after watching uh, all these games that he's played as a Minnesota Viking is that every time they play a tough team on the road with a chance to go win is that he's going to come up short, well, that doesn't really make you feel very good about where this team can go. That might right? be him, though, and I think Matthew. I think – well, no, I think it that is. just I might be him. I mean, I think it's – I think it is. I think that's who he's always been, and that's probably who he'll always be. But – uh, you know, that, that that viewpoint, though, is sort of grim if you're a Vikings fan that you know, your team is 6-3, and three, you're in a really good position in an NFC where seven teams are pretty much left battling, especially after Chicago lost again today, and you're one of them uh, for six spots. I mean, you should feel like, yeah, you're going to make the playoffs, but anything more than that, it's, it just gets harder and harder to believe every time you're on the road in a tough environment and you've got a chance to win the game, and it doesn't happen. Post-game vibe was what in the uh, in Zimmer's comments and also the locker room? What was it like? Well, I think, you know, every time – it's kind of interesting with Zimmer. Every time the offense fails in a game and loses, you see a Zimmer that's sort of talkative and sort of explaining this and this and this and maybe a little defiant and defensive. But when you see the defense not play well, yep. uh, he was very quiet, very quiet after the loss. I even asked him – I even teed him up for a Laquan Treadwell – we're so glad that he stepped up today sort of thing. And there was nothing there. I mean, he just said, I don't know, I'll go look at it. And you could tell, you know, Zimmer has done so well throughout his career at making changes and tweaking schemes and things like that. I mean, he really is one of the most uh, brilliant defensive minds of the last decade plus. Uh, and he's been around a very long time. Bill Parcells doesn't hire people who don't know defense, right? So uh, that's always been his MO. He's been great at it. But, when you make those changes and you think, all right, I'm, I'm going to be able to take care of this and our defense is going to do what we're going to do. We're going to shut this guy down. We're going to win the game. And you don't do it. And it's kind of been all season that you haven't really done it. Um, I think there's concern there. I mean, I, I think there would be rightful concern for Zimmer to be looking at his guys and saying, boy, I'm not sure we're ever going to be what we once were. And, you know, I don't know if he would admit to that. He'd probably not. But there's sort of that feeling of, I don't know if I have all of the schematic answers for what we need to do. I mean, he can pinpoint certain things, and he did a couple. We needed to play this better, that better. You know, yeah, we needed to play a double move better. Right, but Trey Wayne's never really has played those better. We need to play the ball better. Right, but he never really has. And, and once teams have figured out somebody's weakness in the NFL, yep. they're just going to abuse it. So you're going to see Seattle abuse it. You're going to see Detroit abuse it when they come back. You're going to see Green Bay abuse it. Yeah, And I think what you need for this team to make the playoffs and have a chance to be a legitimate contender going into the playoffs is the offense to not sputter. I mean, scoring 23 points is not an embarrassment, but 
they had left probably another 10 points or, or more out on the field, you know, even the, the last drive before the half where they don't punch it in. And, good teams. And leaving points out on the field. You just can't do it with, with this defense because they're not perfect anymore. Good teams, in my mind, go in, and, and it might not be pretty and it might be flawed, but really good teams, teams that have a, a hope of making a playoff run, go into, into KC today and win that game. And that's my takeaway from week two in Green Bay. Let's just say – Let's say that the Bears game was just a terrible game, okay? And, heck, in 2017, they go 13-3. and Early on, Keenum takes over at QB. They go into Pittsburgh and get rolled there. That happens. I'm willing to accept that. But I really think that if we were talking about a special team and a team that was really, really strong and mentally strong and really, really good, week two, you rally and you leave Green Bay and say, whoo, did we get fortunate, but we won. And, and today's game struck me as the exact same thing, which is you lead late. It, it was a fun game. I'm not sure if you're the Vikings or the Chiefs, you especially considered it to have been pretty. But if you're the Vikings, you get out of there, you've won that game. And and to me, this is really about fact-finding on the 2019 Vikings and saying, who are they? And their October was fantastic, and they beat four teams that were eh, really bad to okay. But the more that they play competent, really decent to good teams, especially away from home, I think we're finding that that, that magic or that ability that they had a couple of years back is lacking, and that's a Cousins thing. That's a defense thing now. But it's just not there, Matthew. No, you, you make a good point about the mental toughness of this team, too, which I think has been highly questionable, really, for the last two seasons, uh, whether it's offense or defense. And when they lose one of these games, it really has this here-we-go-again feeling. And it also has the, the feeling of, you know, how many times, Judd, in the Kirk Cousins era have we seen these games that you think, there's really no reason they should have lost that, and yet they did like, against a good team. Or, you know, win win ugly against a good team. You can win ugly against Washington, and we'll give you credit. Like, okay, good job, short week, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's Washington, and they're terrible, and those wins don't count for the same amount as it would have today. You want to see at some point this mental toughness that we saw. And You have to go back to 2017. I mean, that's the last time this team was legitimately very good. And when they went to Atlanta and didn't play well offensively that year, and then they came out with a win. And when Los Angeles brought the number one offense into U.S. Bank Stadium, and it wasn't pretty, but they you know, forced a big fumble in that game and then came up with a big play offensively. And it just seemed that every time they were asked to be big, they were big. And over the last two years, we have just seen so much less of that. I mean, what is the best win for the Minnesota Vikings over the last two years. The only thing I could think of is really on the road at Philly, and that took Linval Joseph scoring a touchdown. And, you know, that Philly team at that point wasn't that great and maybe will never be the same as, as good as they were in 2017 either. But when you can't even lean on a couple of big wins that were against good teams that were ugly and you pounded it out and you gritted it out on the road or something like that, like, to me, you're right. That is the test of very, very good teams is to – have tough games where you're not playing your best and things don't go your way and maybe you get screwed by the refs a couple times and you know whatever else and you still win that that always says a lot to me about teams because it it sort of talks about resiliency and, and it talks about mental toughness and strength and this team against Green Bay they didn't show it here against Kansas City they didn't show it even like you said if you just chalk Chicago up to a stinker which every team has every season almost except for the 16 and 0 Patriots and the 
undefeated Dolphins. Other than that, yep. everybody has that one bad loss, and even the 85 Bears did. So, uh, you know, even if you chalk that up, you would still look at the other two games and say, man, those were right there to win, and you didn't pull it off. And that's been kind of the story of this era of football. So if you are the Viking fan who is calling into to, uh, Bentline and freaking out about Kirk Cousins, I can't really tell you that you're crazy. I can tell you that you're going off of now a growing sample size, which will be tested to some extent next week. I don't think Dallas is a great football team, but they are a good football team, and it's going to be on the road in their house, and it's another chance for Kirk to kind of stare down this narrative and do something about it, but today he certainly didn't change it. Yeah, primetime game too. Keep that in mind as well. Uh, Thielen, what's the status there? Obviously he tweaked that hamstring early in the game, did not come back. My, my immediate suggestion on Twitter is shut him down until post buy now, because these things can be a nightmare. But what was the post game immediate reaction? If there was one about uh, his hamstring injury? Well, there wasn't, uh, Mike Zimmer said, ask him, uh, and you know how Adam (laughs) Thielen is super forthcoming about his hammy. Ask Uh, him. Okay. uh, okay, speaking of growing sample sizes of things that are now officially worth criticizing, yep. the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, just the the training staff, I'm sure, works super crazy hard and knows way more about science and hamstrings and everything else than I do. But last year, they bleeped around with Delvin Cook's hamstring and got burned, and now they did it with Thielen and got burned. Maybe figure it out. I mean, maybe figure it out that resting guys sometimes for an extra week or an extra two weeks with a hamstring is a better idea than forcing them out there. And I'm not saying that they did anything wrong necessarily. Well, he was probably trying to play too, Matthew. Work. Yeah, That's the yeah, problem oh, is you sure can't listen was. to the athlete. I'm sure. I'm sure he was. And, and again, I, I, I'm not inside the training room. I don't uh, have a degree in medical anything. I just know the results here. I just know that Anderson Deho had a horrendous concussion in the Minneapolis Miracle game and played the next week and was horrible and had to be pulled from the game. I know that Sam Bradford was sent out onto a field that he absolutely never should have touched with his knee situation in 2017. I know that Delvin Cook last year was put on a pitch count, which was a complete disaster and forced him to miss more games. And I know that Adam Thielen was pushed out after being limited in practice all week long and then plays on one drive. And that body of work right there tells us a little bit of this team wants to get their guys out there and they want to make sure that uh, they have their stars in place and everything else for big games. And I get that. And that's the NFL. And lots of guys play through lots of injuries. I'm sure they would lecture me about all these things. But if this injury sustains through the whole season and it's this constant, is he playing? Is he not playing? Is he not? We're going to look back at this game and yep. say, you made a mistake. The results speak for themselves maybe your process was good I don't know your process but the results speak for themselves with Delvin last year and now with Adam Thielen and I think it is worth questioning should he have been out there playing this game mm-hmm. when he played one drive and re-aggravated three weeks off now give him three weeks off you, you got uh, Dallas you got uh, Denver bye week can't play again Seattle next game uh, why did Amir Abdullah play and why why did Madison not play more I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I'm confused myself. Uh, it really was super bizarre to see Alexander Madison not get the ball or Delvin Cook not get the ball on a third and one and then hand it to Amir Abdullah, who is, in my mind, a good football player, and I like him, um, to come out of the backfield, catch a pass or something like that, play special teams. 
I don't like him in a ground and pound third and one situation. I, I, I wish I could tell you more about that, but I, I don't really understand it. And then, you know, Madison ran a go route down the sideline and made an incredible catch that turned out to be out of bounds. But, uh, you know, so that was his usage today. It was, it was kind of bizarre. I, I don't really understand that one. Final thoughts, sir? Well, I think it's just that, you know, this is not a game where you should walk away and say we're screwed, we can't win uh, ever with this quarterback and everything else. Um, it's, it's not burn it all down and trade Cousins next year, which I got some tweets after. Like, they still have uh, a pretty decent body of work to suggest that they're one of the better teams in the NFC. It's just that when you start adding up the weaknesses of the big games and how the good teams handle them, and you start adding up that the defense is not going to bail you out anytime that you need them to, or every time I should say that you need them to, then it's harder to take this team seriously as a Super Bowl contender at this moment. I think what we yep. wanted to see today, what we wanted to see was even if it's ugly, you get a game winning drive. Even if it's ugly, you get a huge stop. And you got neither one of those things. And Kansas City got some breaks along the way, but that's always going to happen for a home team, and they deserve to win the game. And they did a great job defensively. And here's my other thing that I'll tack on is I am really interested to see if other teams, and and I'll have to look at the tape, sorry, everyone, to figure out what some of the things Kansas City did. But if other teams copy those things, and are able to stop the play action shots down the field, mm-hmm. then things will things will get hairy for the Vikings offense. Things will get a lot tougher because a lot of their biggest plays came off those play actions. And if there's a way to slow them down schematically, then uh, you know other teams are going to figure that out, and that's going to be a lot tougher for Kirk Cousins in the offense. So, you know, I think that there there's a lot of sort of big picture takeaways to this one. If you were to fi- Final thing, if you were to dole out the blame here, because to me, you know, special teams, the, the kicker, Dan Bailey, misses an extra point. Cole quit uh, after a brilliant day in the win there, shanks that punt. Cousins, the offense, the play calling, not great. The defense, the secondary for sure struggles. If you were to, to, to do the old Mackey and Judd pie chart of blame, mm, because yeah. there's so much to go around, how would you divvy up the pie? Like, is there a majority piece that would go to someone, or are we talking about just a sort of, unfortunately for the Vikings, total system failure across the board here? Yeah, yeah. I I think it was probably, and and Kirk Cousins actually said this after the game, a little bit of everything, and so I probably would try to divvy that up to, hey, you know, you can't give up a 91-yard touchdown run. Like, even if you're a bad defense, you can't give up a 91-yard touchdown run. Longest in Chiefs history, Matthew. Um, well, yeah, uh, not surprising. Lo- no, but I'm I'm saying the Chiefs have been around forever. Hank Stram. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that no one ran for 91 yards before. I have never in person seen a play that long. I think that's the longest play I've ever seen in covering a game. I wasn't there for Gus Farratt's 99-yard touchdown pass, but it was unbelievable to see a 91-yard touchdown run against this defense. So they certainly um, deserve a lot of it. I think that when it comes to Cousins, I can't give him all of it, but when you got the ball with a chance to go win, then it's on you to go win. I mean, that's that's what you have great quarterbacks for. That's why great quarterbacks win all the freaking Super Bowls. I mean, mm-hmm. Because, you know, Deshaun Watson could get kicked in the eyeball and then go win the game anyway. It's like, it's just, 
I mean, that that would be the sort of bigger picture. I, I wouldn't blame Kirk Cousins for the performance and say it was all on him or anything. It was probably only maybe 40% Kirk Cousins, and then it was probably 40% the defense, and then the other 20% is combined with Adam Thielen's injury and maybe some play calling and maybe some flags and things like that. But that is that's the one thing, it's that one situation where you differentiate between the good and the great and there just hasn't been a lot in the resume of Kirk Cousins to say great uh, when it comes to those big moments. And, you know, that's where I'm sure that a lot of Vikings fans feel, as we talked about after the loss in, in Chicago, a little bit resigned to their fate because it's like this is probably what's going to happen in a playoff game. All right, sir, we are done here. He is Matthew Collar. I'm Judd Zolgad, and you have been listening and want to thank you for tuning in to uh, Purple Daily, the podcast version. We'll be back at you on Monday with plenty of more Vikings coverage starting with uh, Ventline at 10 a.m. Talk to you all later. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.